Dear listeners, you are tuned into Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly program on Tacoma Radio, where we have bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and today we have a special interview recorded here at the Religion News Writers Association Conference in Columbus, Ohio. I'm happy to have with me two guests, Steve Sorowitz and Bob Hercules, the producer and director, respectively, of the new film, The Gate. The Gate is the first major motion picture about the history of the Baha'i Faith, a world religion that has its origins in 19th century Persia. The Gate tells the story of one of the central figures of the Baha'i Faith, known by the title of The Bob, and Steve and our own Bob are here to tell us a little bit about the story how they collaborated, and some of the interfaith-ish behind this project. I'm curious if, when in the process of, of making this film or showing the film, you go to explain to people, so I've got, we've got this film, and it's, it's called The Gate, and it's about this guy called The Bob, and, and they turn to you, Bob, and they're like, wait, did you make a film about yourself? <laughs> well, it gets, it gets worse than that. <laughs> We're told to make a Herculean effort to, uh, to, to teach the faith. So I thought, well, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to find someone named Hercules to <laughs> make right. a movie about the Bob. Right. And I don't know, the story of Hercules, he gets his loins poisoned and, uh, yeah, and all right. sorts of bad stuff happens to him. We, it's like, we, so didn't, I don't know we didn't tell him that. <laughs> you know your Greek mythology is probably not a good model to go after. Right there. So, no, so you know, good for you guys yeah. for, for doing it. So tell me a little bit about your own backstories here. We can start with you, Steve. I was raised a Reformed Jew, mostly in the south suburbs of Chicago. Uh, not super religious. Uh, we went to temple a few times a year, uh, and uh, we were then berated by the rabbi because we only went to temple a few times a year. <laughs> uh, I eventually went to college, and I was at Hillel in uh, University of Illinois when I first heard about the Baha'i Faith, and that took me about 29 years to adopt the Baha'i Faith. In the meantime, I became an entrepreneur, and I started a company called Palocity. In 1997, that company went public in 2014. It made me very wealthy, and I was able to do kind of whatever I wanted. Um, and around the same time, I was finding the Baha'i faith. And so it was just coincidental, maybe, that I became a Baha'i within a year of my company going public and became very dedicated to the faith. And as part of this, ended up making the movie The Gate uh, with an attempt to really try and introduce the faith to the the public. What was the the thing, the sort of catalyst that took you on this journey from from being somebody who it sounds like were more culturally Jewish than religiously observant? Is that is that accurate? So there's a couple things along the way. I have a friend, uh, Kevin, who is a good friend. He I, I used to own a Chinese delivery restaurant, Chinese fast food delivery restaurant, and he was a driver. And he says to me, "You want to study the Christian faith?" He that's what he does. He does he teaches the Bible full time, um, and. I said, well, I'm Jewish, and he tried again, and I said, well, no, I'm Jewish, and he tried the third time, I'm like, well, okay, I can't hurt. So I started studying the Bible, and I came to really love the words of Jesus, actually quite quickly, you know, it was kind of like, wow, that's pretty cool. He said that, oh, that's pretty cool. I never, I knew nothing about Jesus. I went 25 years of my life knowing nothing about the Bible. And I was just culturally Jewish. I mean, I, I knew about the Torah, I, I got a bar mitzvah, I knew the, the stories of Judaism, but I really didn't know much about Jesus. I just knew I didn't believe in him. And uh, after a few years of studying him, the Bible, I'm 
thinking, well, why don't I believe in him? I never became a Christian. But um, I'd also, I'd, ironically, I knew about the Baha'i faith already, and I really liked the ideas behind the Baha'i faith, particularly the idea of progressive revelation. And so it came that many years later, my friend asked me to study the Baha'i faith. And I started studying. I did a, what they call Rui, uh, Baha'i study group. And after a few years of doing that, I realized that I did really believe in Baha'u'llah. And I went to my wife and I said, I'm a Baha'i now. And my wife said, no, you're not. You're the Jewish one. I'm the Catholic one. We've raised the kids Jewish. <laughs> oh, we you're have an to... interfaith family. Yes, okay. and we, so we had to wait till after the bar mitzvah. As you tell the story, you declared yourself as a Baha'i, and then almost immediately you had the opportunity to embark on this adventure of creating this film, which is a, a landmark film. I sent uh, an email to my friend Farshid Ferdowsi, and uh, he was in the same business as me. So I knew him as a Baha'i, he knew me as a Jew, and I said, well, hey, guess what? I'm now a Baha'i like you. I told him I wanted to retire and just teach the faith. He said, well, you could do that in a couple years and reach hundreds of people, or you could make a movie. It was his idea to make the movie and reach millions of people. So you've got this uh, idea for a film about the history of the Baha'i faith. So naturally, you go to Hollywood and you turn to the expert direction of a Baha'i director, right? Uh, no. Yes, Bob no. is not a Baha'i. <laughs> okay, so, so tell us a little bit about that. What's your background? Where are you coming from? Well, uh, I grew up in Michigan, and uh, we were nominally Episcopalians, but we, like Steve, my family was not that religious. We, we only went a couple times a year, so I didn't really, I was not raised in a religious family at all, so it was never big on my radar, frankly. Um, but I've made films over the years, inevitably, religion played a role in some of the films I made. I made a film about a Catholic priest, uh, a radical disciple about Father Mike Flager, who's a kind of a radical Catholic priest, a white priest in an all-black church. In Southside Chicago. Southside Chicago. Uh, I made a film about Saul Alinsky, the father of community organizing. And Rules Alinsky, for radicals. Rules for Radicals. So Alinsky's funding and his base of support was the Catholic Church. <clears throat> for all those years and other faiths as well mm -hmm. so <clears throat> there's a faith component in some of those films mm -hmm. but I when I met Steve I was working on a film about Maya Angelou and I showed when Steve came into for our first uh, meeting I showed him a 15 minute piece of the film which was almost done and I think it was it obviously impressed him <laughs> and we agreed to to work on this film. In fact, Steve then came on board as one of the executive producers of the Maya Angelou film as well, which oh, was, okay. I mean, I'm not sure the film could have been finished without wow. his support. Uh, and, and it went on, of course, to, you know, it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. It played in, I don't know, 200 film festivals. It won awards on three continents, and then it won the Peabody Award. Wonderful. So it was a tremendous success, and it played on American Masters. And that was your first collaboration? That was together. our first collaboration, and then we started on this film. And we spent about a year uh, researching and writing the script. So it was Steve, Ed Price, and myself. We, we met probably once a week, sometimes twice a week. For a, It was a very intense process of how to, how to take this enormous story and fold it into you know an hour or an hour plus film. It was a, a very difficult assignment. And had you heard of the Baha'i Faith prior to meeting Steve? I had. I'd been to the temple a couple times. I'd been inside the temple. You're talking I, about the house of worship that's in Chicago? In, in Wilmette, yes. Yep. So I'd been there before with my wife, and so I knew a little bit about the faith, but not much. And then um, once we started, 
Julie and I uh, had Steve actually do a tour of the temple and, and the history and everything, um, which was great. kind of the same tour he gives to a lot of people to this day. You're a fixture at, at the is, Temple Visitor Center giving constantly. tours and volunteering your time there, I think. Whenever I can. Yeah, right. Okay. And so then, you know, in doing this research and, and script writing, um, of course, I learned, I read a lot of books about the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did as much research as I could. Ed Price was a tremendous resource for um, developing materials about the film. Mm-hmm. And so we. And, and Nader Saidi. And Nader Saidi, who, who we met with a couple times as well. Nader, as you know, teaches at UCLA, but he came out to Chicago a couple times. We actually went out there once and met with him, so he was very much a, a collaborator in this process. It was a very intense process. You encountered a, a, a particular challenge yes. <laughs> in the storytelling, so tell us about that that challenge. We, we forgot to tell Bob he couldn't portray his main character. We, we signed him up and then we told him about that later. <laughs> so fairly quickly I realized that um, we were not going to be allowed to show the Bob, the main character of the film. So that was a very unusual challenge for a filmmaker because how do you make a film about somebody that you can't see and I what I said to Steve at the time I said uh, Shakespeare once said uh, eyes our eyes are the windows to our soul and I said how can we how can we get to the soul of the Bob if we can't even see his eyes we can't see his reaction so but we couldn't it was just a, it was just a fact like we couldn't get around that we actually did a test shoot for the uh, Baha'i, uh, you know, uh, the um, institution, the NSA, National Spiritual Assembly, to show them examples of things. Could we show a shadow? Could we show part of an arm? Could we show a silhouette? Could we did like I don't know, probably twelve variations on a theme. We actually did a shoot mm-hmm. with the actors playing, you know, and mm-hmm. all those were rejected. Mm-hmm. So we really had to strategize on how to film this without showing the Bob. And so one of our main strategies was we would simply have something kind of blocking our view in the camera of where the Bob would be. So this might be sort of a, a strange thing to listeners to hear about that as a as a, uh, a storytelling requirement because of course we have a lot of um, popular examples of the Ten Commandments, Charlton Huston playing Moses, you've got mm-hmm. innumerable people who've, who've played uh, Jesus mm-hmm. in, in various depictions. People might be familiar with the the, the rule that obviously uh, the Prophet Muhammad um, for Muslims is not to be depicted in any sort of images drawn or, or filmed or theatrical or otherwise. Right. So um, tell us a little bit about why is that a rule for the central figures of the Baha'i faith not to be portrayed? We as Baha'is believe that the greatness of God and of man is spiritual, that we are, tr- we are primarily spiritual beings and the greatness of the manifestations of God, who we revere all the manifestations of God, Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, the Baha'u'llah, their greatness is spiritual. And to show them as a physical person diminishes them. It makes them look like just you or I, mm-hmm. and they aren't. Uh, we also, interestingly enough, don't want to overemphasize that they are God as well. They, they are the messenger of God, but not God incarnate. So in some ways, we, we either diminish them too much or, what's the word? Elevate, elevate, them. elevate them too much. And we really, want, we really want people to look at them for their words, their, their, who they were. You know, Baha'u'llah said the proof of, of a messenger of God is really in their teachings and in their person, mm-hmm. and person being their, you know, their personality. And so we can't depict 
the truth, the love, the kindness um, on the screen. We, they end up seeing a physical person. And I, I think the main thing is we would diminish them. Mm. So the, you aren't depicting the central figure in the narrative, but you are at liberty to depict the surrounding characters, those, mm -hmm. those initial uh, disciples, you could say, of, um, of this religious leader um, and, and all the other people that are present in um, uh, the Persian society of the day. Right. We could portray them, but we had to do it with a lot of respect and reverence. I mean, these, these people made tremendous sacrifices for all of humanity. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the drama in the story. This is a story that people are not familiar with, so maybe without spoiling the ending, <laughs> um, tell me a little bit, and I'll, maybe I'll turn to you, Bob, just okay. give us a, a little recap of what is the story of the Bob and what makes it fascinating? The story of the Bob is very dramatic, I think. I mean, it's similar to Jesus and other religious figures. Um, he was persecuted when he started his ministry. It was very controversial. I mean, to me, a lot of these stories are about power. And so uh, the Bob's uh, ideas and concepts were a threat to the uh, those in power at the time because he was advocating the, the unity of all religions. Also, it was heretical to the Muslims that a new religion had appeared because in, in many many of them thought at the time that Muhammad was the final messenger, that was it. And so for a new messenger to appear was heretical, so that was problematic. So he lived a life of tremendous sacrifice and uh, tremendous drama, and uh, uh, but amazing persistence. And, and I think the other part of the story is the people. What he tapped into was an incredible source of energy within the people in Iran at the time and then gradually much broader than that. But the people were looking for, there was tremendous corruption and uh, going on in Iran at the time. And so the people were really looking for something new, some new spiritual message that could take them forward. And so I think the Bob appeared at the exact time that they needed that. So what we try to focus on in the film is not just the Bob story, but also the story of the ordinary people of Iran. They were given the chance finally to, to conduct their own spiritual inquiry. This is a film for a primarily non-Baha'i audience, mm -hmm. and perhaps even people that have never actually even heard of the Baha'i faith, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this could be, for, for some people, their first introduction to the Baha'i faith. And I'm curious, we have a a director who doesn't consider himself a Baha'i. I mm -hmm. assume the majority of the cast and crew themselves mm -hmm. were not Baha'i. Mm -hmm. Even you, Steve, are a fairly recent Baha'i. So you're you're coming to this with, you know, a life experience that is is from a very different perspective. Um, I wonder what choices you made in terms of the construction of the narrative with with that sensibility and perspective in mind, mm -hmm. such that it's not. Um, only a film that, that people who are familiar with the story and history of the Baha'i faith to appreciate. Mm -hmm. We're not proselytizing. We're not telling people they have to be Baha'is. We're really telling the story of the Bob. As Bob says, it's B.O.B. Uh, B. Bob says that <laughs> uh, it's a very exciting story and it's a wonderful story. And we think that people who have no religion whatsoever, who aren't Baha'is, never want to be, become Baha'is, would be interested in a couple things. Number one, the story of the Bob itself, just as having a lot, it's just like, it would be a very exciting story if he wasn't a messenger of God, um, just the, the things that happen. 
Um, the other thing is this message of the Baha'i faith, which is the unity of humanity, getting rid of sexism, racism, nationalism, religious prejudice, trying to break down the divisions that are still plaguing humanity is a really compelling message that a lot of people identify with. And so I think it's a combination of we have, a, I think, a pretty nice message, and I think we have a really compelling story, and we hope that this would be a story for all people. From a Baha'i perspective, humanity is one. So we don't like to segregate and say, you're a Baha'i, you're not a Baha'i. It's more that we are all trying to discover truth together. We are all one humanity. And the labels that we put on each other are what we need to do away with. We should be studying truth together, trying to figure out the truth together, and stop hating. And that's really the message of the film, is that you know, we should be looking to build oneness and unity mm -hmm. and not trying to build division. We also conducted interviews with some of the most some of the foremost scholars, both Baha'i and, and non-Baha'i. So it's an incredibly impressive group of uh, people that we, academics that we interviewed for the film, and also great storytellers as well. So the film really is steeped in a, a tremendous scholarship. Really, you're working on a number of different levels of challenges of unfamiliarity because 18th century Persia is probably not a world that people are very familiar with mm -hmm. either, right? Mm -hmm. So that's somewhat foreign, and right. you know, it's happening in a in a language, you know, whether theological or or um, spoken, that people are 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 not not as familiar with it, you know, mm -hmm. here in, here in the United States. So I'm curious if there are, are were choices that you mm -hmm. made that that helped, you know, really get at the essence of the story. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the first things we decided to do was to shoot some reenactment scenes to help visualize the story because it was in a period at the cusp of photography and way before film so how would you visualize the story so Steve and Ed and I agreed I think right off the bat that we would need to shoot reenactment scenes we decided to film them in southern Spain because it was uh, it has the Moorish influence and so it has that look uh, could be Iran in the 1840s uh, possibly so we were, uh, but we also, the crew was very um, thorough. The, I'll give you an example. The costume director did tremendous amount of research to, find, to show what did people look like at that exact point, 1840s Persia, what did they look like? So she was very thorough, as was everybody on the crew, all the, all the main positions, on getting to that authenticity, which we knew was important. We didn't want the film to be held back by somebody calling us out on some inaccuracy or something. So uh, we were very rigid in that sense. The reception of the film, mm -hmm. I'm curious, you've had sort of a self-propelled promotional release mm -hmm. in numerous cities around around the country. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's aired internationally yet, but it's, it's also been broadcast on a number of different television stations. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, what, what has the reception been to the film? We've had requests from 125 countries and we've already had hundreds of showings all around the world. Wonderful. So it has shown quite a bit internationally as well. And it will show at the Parliament of World Religions in November, um, which is a great forum for it, I think. This is the the first presentation of the Baha'i Faith in, in this type of forum, this major film. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys made an interesting choice to actually focus on, while a, a central figure not actually the central figure that people who may be familiar with the Baha'i mm -hmm. faith know about, who is mm -hmm. Baha'u'llah. Baha'u'llah is the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. But instead of telling his story in, in the ways that you've, you've described with all the challenges and so forth mm -hmm. of not being able to depict Baha'u'llah, you actually went and told sort of a prequel 
by by going and telling the story of the Bob. So I'm curious, why make that film first? And also, are there plans then to do a similar treatment for the story of Baha'u'llah as a follow-up? We made the Bob first because that's really where it began. It began with the Bob. And so this is really the start of the Baha'i faith. The Dawnbreakers, a lot of Baha'is are very excited about seeing some of the scenes from the Dawnbreakers. What is the Dawnbreakers? The Dawnbreakers is the story of the beginning of the Baha'i faith in Persia, the story of really the Bob and his followers. And it's a tremendously exciting, very large book. And, and so you want to talk about excitement. Uh, the Dawnbreakers is the pinnacle of excitement for many Baha'is. My own personal take was the Bob's name is the gate, and he's kind of the gate to Baha'u'llah. So it was my goal to say, let's walk through the Bob, see what kind of atmosphere it was at the time. Is there a plan to do a follow-up film about some other aspect of um, the next story, the next chapter after the Bob's ministry? Um, I think in the future we'll make other films. Uh, right now we're still working on this film, you know, just going around with this film. So. We'll see uh, over time. I mean, I would love to make many films in the future. Um, people have asked for a film on Tahereh. Uh, Who's Tahereh? She was one of the 18 disciples of the Bob. She was incredibly beautiful from what they say and incredibly brilliant. Tahereh uh, took off her veil in 1848 and announced a brand new faith. And she said, this is a new faith and a new age. It was shocking at the time. And when she died in 1852, she was killed. Before she died, she said, you can kill me as soon as you like but you cannot stop the emancipation of women. So she's a wonderful figure in the history of women's rights, and so a lot of people have expressed desire for a film on Tahereh. And she's depicted in The Gate, and, she, she and is. Is, is somebody that you could freely depict, although I'm sure that there are some challenges also with, with um, as you're talking about, the reverence of, yeah. you know, you can't really take liberties with putting words in the mouth of the person, I assume. There's some, some right. uh, challenges around that in the storytelling as well. Yeah, we have a little bit more leeway, leeway with Tahereh, but it's not infinite. Mm -hmm. It's not infinite leeway. We have the beautiful Tala Delvarani, who played Tahereh in the reenactment. She is Persian. Actually not a Baha'i, but definitely a friend of the faith. And so uh, I'm, I really, I am taken with the story of Tahereh. Um, obviously someday someone will do a story of Baha'u'llah. Um, if I could be that person, that would be wonderful. But uh, I'm sure that someone will make a very similar movie about Baha'u'llah someday. Great, great. Well, the, um, you know, the second part of our show is that we, we like to have our guests have an opportunity to ask each other questions. So I'm, I'm curious if um, either Steve, you for, for Bob, or Bob, you for Steve, if, if there are things that came up, questions that, that you've discussed, or things that you, you'd be uh, interested to know about each other's perspectives, how this process may have changed you and your, mm. your religious journey um, or your faith, or even just about the broader tradition that you're a part of. Interesting. Um, I'll ask Steve something. Sure. Was there one scene or one concept that didn't make it into the film that you still wish could have been in the film? You know, there was a couple little things. Um, so the Bob declares on May 23rd, 1844, and the very next day, halfway across the world, Samuel Morse sends the first public telegraph. And it's what hath God wrought, a biblical reference. And so I think that's just an amazing coincidence. And there's a lot of coincidences like that. Another one is right after Tahereh pulls off her veil uh, was the Seneca Falls Women's Rights uh, Conference. And so that was the very first one. And it was literally days after Tahereh pulled off her veil. So 
those are probably a couple of things. For the most part, um, we really got in what I wanted in. Great. Are there any, any questions that you've been wanting to ask Bob about this whole process? <laughs> I'm dying to know. What, um, what were your biggest uh, takeaways about the Baha'i faith besides the fact that Baha'is are a pain in the neck to work with? <laughs> I was very impressed as I got deeper into the story of the Baha'i, the idea of the unity of people. It's something I've always felt even as a kid. I remember growing up as a kid and, and hearing about, we didn't have black people where I lived in northern Michigan, but you know, as, as living in the 60s, as a kid, I was always troubled or confused by why would it matter what person's skin color is, even as a boy? And it, it just always stuck in my mind. So when we started working on the film, I was like, this makes perfect sense to me. Uh, embracing all cultures, all people, regardless of skin color and sex and age and anything. And that's, that's what I've always believed in deeply in my heart. For, and I, it's gotten stronger as I've gotten older and more sophisticated. So finding this religion uh, and the, the tenets that they live up to was tremendous to, to discover all that. I have to say Bob does a better job teaching the Baha'i faith than I do. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to say this, that I, I really enjoyed the partnership. I felt it was a fruitful partnership. And one of the things I enjoyed is we did a lot of consultation. Baha'is have a concept called consultation where you put your ideas out on the table and then the next person puts their idea out. And even though I was paying for the project, I wanted to do it that way. I didn't want to say, Bob, you have to mm. do it this way, you have to do it that way. I wanted to make it more collaborative. And I felt we, as a group, really all did that very well. And you know, Bob could say the same thing. Well, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. I've been doing this for many years. You don't know anything. But I think we all tried to lay aside our egos and really try to make the movie the best movie it could be. That was my feeling. I don't know what your feeling is, but I thought yeah, we no, did that very, very well. Yeah, very collaborative. I was very impressed because you didn't, you were not dogmatic at all. I mean, I could eventually talk you off the cliff sometimes. <laughs> of you know, I just felt like you know, there's a danger in a film like this that if it's come off is if it comes off as too much proselytizing then it will not be um, acceptable to many viewers, especially younger people. We did focus groups before the film and actually after uh, to millennials, and one of the things that came out of those focus groups was their, their um, authenticity was very important to them. And also, they don't like to be sold to. I mean, they're a generation that's been sold to to death, even more than our generation. And so uh, thinking about that focus group, it was very important for us not to you know, to try to make sure it was the story that took the precedent. And out of the story, the ideas of the Bob, the concepts, uh, the, 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 the spiritualism would come out through the stories rather than us top down telling you this is what he believed. You know, so it was, it's, a, it's a subtle thing, but it's, it's, it's a complex way to make a film, but I think it's, it's for the better. Great. And the film The Gate is available already on yep. iTunes. Yep. Yes. Um, any other venues that people can go to to Well, to they find can the go film? to the, the www.thegatefilm.com, and that's the website, and that's a great way. You can order the DVD, you can order a digital download, but you can go to iTunes, um, you can go to screenings. Baha'i so, Publishing. Baha'i Publishing. So there's a lot of ways to look at the, to find the film. And if you're in Chicago, you can go to the Baha'i House of Worship and they sell it there at Ooh. the bookstore. And, and maybe you'll run into Steve Sarowitz. And you might see a very, <laughs> if you see a very tall person with a beard, it might be me. All right. Great. Well, thanks guys for sitting down and talking about the film and about your life experiences. Appreciate you sharing. Thank, Thank you, you, Jack. Thank you.
Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this special edition of Interfaith-ish. You can find all our Interfaith-ish episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review, and let us know if there's Interfaith-ish you wish to dish by writing us an email at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. 